Now today we're talking about a guy by the name of Samuel. Everyone say Samuel. Now Samuel's going to come on the scene and what you're going to find out over the course of the next few weeks is he's going to be spending a lot of time with us not only today as we break down his life and specifically a story that I feel God wants me to share with you but he's going to come up in the following weeks as we begin to talk about Saul and as we also begin to talk about King David. Now in this series our goal has been to help you understand this story that God put into place and to transition you through it. So in every single week that we've done on this, we've wanted to give you some content to help you understand the, the context and the story of this. So when you look at the books of, of Samuel, the book of Kings, and the book of Chronicles, this is the very first sets in the Bible. You'll notice in your Bible that there was first and second Samuel, there was first and second Kings, and then there was first and there are second Chronicles. Now this time or this period of time is 575 years that these books begin to take place. It begins around 1100 BC and it's going to go all the way into what's known as the Babylonian captivity. Now essentially in these books from this point as we go through there it's going to take us towards the latter end of the Old Testament. You guys remember around Christmas time where we usually bring up the fact that for 400 years, God goes silent. You guys remember that. We, we talk about this from, from the time of the prophets as we get from the Old Testament in Malachi before we get to God speaking to Mary about Jesus, of course, God's gone completely quiet. And I believe that it is at this point in the story of the Bible that we begin to see God cease from speaking to mankind. We also see that as Samuel comes on the scene, some would refer to him as actually the 12th judge from the book of Judges. You'll remember a couple weeks ago in the book of Judges, we talked about how there were 12 judges, that Israel would have this, this perplexity to serve God, to get comfortable, then think they don't need God, then start to sin, chaos would ensue, and then God would come back again, and he would save them. He would then place another judge on the scene. That judge would begin to rule. Things would be good for a while. And then what did the children of Israel do? What they always did, they call it the sin cycle. They would revert back to worshiping idols, to putting themselves first, to caring about how they looked and how much money they had. And they'd get in trouble. And God, again, in his grace and his mercy, would come right back along. And we've been saying this every single week. Please hear me. Many refer to God in the Old Testament as a God of judgment. Yes, God gave judgment. But he was also a God of tremendous grace and tremendous mercy. That's why when you look at the book of Judges, if one judge couldn't fix the problem, God could have said, well, this experiment didn't quite work out. Let's forget the other judges and let's go right to Samuel. God doesn't do that. God says, let me give you another judge. And we know that Joshua, everyone say Joshua. We know that Joshua, man, before the judges came in, Joshua was, was a good guy. The Bible says that Israel served God while Joshua was in reign. And when Joshua died, the elders who took on after him served God as well. Then the judges came. Things got messed up. We talked about Samson. Man, that story went bad real quick. You know what I mean? But now we're here. Now God says, okay, here, here's the deal. I'm going to start using prophets. And Samuel is the first prophet in line 
that God begins to use. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 3 when God started finally speaking to Samuel and Samuel started realizing it. I want you to know that somebody once said that there are three types of leaders. Three types of leaders. One, there are those who make things happen. Two, those who watch things happen. And then three, those who have no idea what's happening. Three types of leaders. In this story and over the course of the next four weeks, but especially in Samuel, we find these types of leaders through the story in the book of Samuel. But we find them in four distinct people. We see it with Eli, then we see it with Saul, then we see it with David, and then we see it with who's after David? Solomon. We see it after Solomon. So it's the story of a priest, a prophet, a politician, and a poet. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the role of a prophet, the ruin of a priest today. Next week we're going to talk about the rule of a politician. We can refer Saul to a politician. And then we're going to talk about the rise of a poet because David comes on and he was a poet and he probably didn't even know it. There you go. I'm white. I said it. I can't take it back. I was raised in Northern California. Hi, Uncle Nancy. Good to have you. So it's worth noting. It's worth noting. In 1 Samuel 1, you don't have to turn there or go on the screen, that Samuel was born out of a great desire and promise made to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Notice how specific this is. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So we could assume that uh, he had some hair. So God was faithful to Hannah, and she bore a son by the name of Samuel, who would serve in the temple from a young age. That's where he would start. And he would serve under a priest by the name of Eli. And we'll get to Eli here in a moment. We know that in Eli's reign, especially himself and also with his two sons, that they were evil. He was a priest who didn't keep order in his home. He was a priest who didn't take care of business, especially inside of God's house. So God was with Samuel from a very young age. Now, many regard him as the last judge. And they believe that he judged anywhere from 20 to 40 years. Now, the reason there's such a gap in that 20 to 40 years is because when Samuel comes on and begins to do things, Eli is actually still alive. So they say it could be anywhere from 20 to 40 years that Samuel was a judge, and he was the final one. We know that he was a man of prayer. We also know that he was a man of prophecy. He was a prophet. But what I really appreciate about, about him is, and you'll see it over the course of the next two weeks, is he had a fearless ability, and I mean fearless, to oppose those who were going against God and his word. He had the, the ability to confront issues that Eli the priest would not. I know I'm getting ahead of the story here a little bit, but who was the man who confronted Saul when Saul decided to go into battle before the prophet came? It was Samuel. 
See, in that story, we won't have time to break it down next week, but the role was is if the king went to war, he would wait for the prophet to come, and when the prophet came, he would give his blessing. And guess what? If a prophet tells you, especially if they're speaking on behalf of the one true God, if the prophet tells you, you know what? You have a blessing on this one. If I'm a captain, I'm going, sure, victory. Make sense? Well, Saul got nervous and anxious at one battle, and he decided to go out before the prophet came. So by the time Samuel shows up on the scene, Samuel's like, what are you doing? And he confronts the king. Now, it's different in our context, in our world, and please don't, just don't go there if you want to go there. Um, we, we have a way to confront, quote-unquote, the king in our day. Some of you are reading in between the lines. I call them keyboard warriors. That's what I call them. We'll leave that for another day. But back in the day, when you confronted a king, it was not as easy as we had it today. It's very different. But Samuel was bold enough to do that because he came from God. How many of you guys know when you've got God, you can be bold? Respectful, but bold. Remember the other time he confronted another king by the name of David? Oh man, in two weeks, whoo, it's going to get crazy in here. Crazy, crazy. We know the story. David's out walking on a rooftop one day when the Bible says all the kings were out to war. So he's at a place that he should not be. He should be out to war with his men, but he stays back. And one night, late on a rooftop, he looks over and he notices that there's a woman and she's bathing. She's naked. And obviously, we know how the story goes. He gets one of his guys, goes, gets her. They come together. She gets pregnant. Immediately, David, instead of coming coming out and dealing with his sin, tries to hide it all, brings Uriah home from the battle, can't convince him to sleep with his wife, so then sends him out to battle by the way with the letter to the general that say, put Uriah on the front line so he could be killed. And sure enough, the story goes, Uriah goes out, he gets killed. David thinks he's in the clear until a man by the name of Samuel comes along. You can read this in your Bible. Says a riddle. Man, David thinks he's got away with it. And then the Bible says the prophet takes his finger and says, it's you. You're the one who did this. And I know I'm kind of getting into the story a little bit more here, but thank God for Samuel because David, after that point, repented to the Lord and got things right. And aren't you glad he did? Amen. Prophet, he, he, was, he was good. All right. That's kind of like some overview of Samuel. Now that said... He was an amazing prophet. But how did he become that? I want you to go to 1 Samuel 3 as you're there. And specifically what I'm going to be talking about through this story right here. As we go through chapter 3, I'm going to be giving you six points today. Dave, that's three times two, so it's twice as good. I think it's worth us learning and knowing how to hear and do what God says. I think culture today would say... Even in churches across the nation, there are some who would believe that God does not speak today like he did in the days of the Bible. There's a group of people, believers, that believe that God doesn't speak anymore. They, they'll even go even further to say that God doesn't do miracles anymore. They will say that miracles ceased in the book of Acts, and the reason that God did the miracles was so the church could launch with a big bang. 
So, so these miracles had to take place, but then as time goes, there's a group that would say, even in their theology, God doesn't do miracles today. And anytime I hear someone say that, I always go to the New Testament, because you know what they say, well, if it's not in the New Testament, it, oh, that's the God of old. Where the Bible says that as believers, that we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Furthermore, it says that we would do greater and mightier things than Jesus. So what did Jesus do? A lot of things. But did he do miracles? Did he heal? Were the dead raised? Were the blind eyes open? Were the deaf ears open? Of course he did. You guys believe that, right? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure you weren't following that other group. So if that's the case, man, as a pastor, man, you gotta, you gotta, I got to protect you from the wolves. Wolves. So that's why sometimes if I get passionate about something, especially on those who attack God's word and call their stuff truth, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what the Bible says. So that means that we have the ability to lay hands on people and see them recover. But back to what I'm saying, there's a, there's a group that think that God doesn't speak anymore. Well, God speaks. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, God speaks. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord watch here was rare in those days and there was no widespread revelation that's what's going on they're not understanding God and he's not speaking as much which gets us to point number one when it comes to hearing from God we've got to know that hearing God is a privilege it's a privilege now keep in mind the backdrop of God speaking to this kid in verse number one. Remember, it says it was rare that God would speak. Now, the question that I asked myself when I read this was, well, why? If we're supposed to be led by God and in God's will, why would God choose not to speak? Again, gear of the Bible. We got to look backwards so far. The reason that I believe God stopped speaking as much was because people weren't listening much. Have you ever said something to your children more than 10 times? What's your mindset when you have to go, well, if they haven't heard me the first 10 times, what's the use? We'll tell ourselves, and there's some truth to it, that, ah, they're, they're just not, they're not listening. Okay, let's go backwards. Judges, children of Israel, what did they do? Everything that was right in their eyes. And so what would God do? God would speak. And they'd listen, and then they'd stop listening. God would speak. They'd listen, and then they would stop listening. That's how the book of Judges ends. So now it, it forms this frame of why God is saying, okay, out with the judges, and let's move forward with prophets. I, I don't think it's that God didn't want to speak. I think it's that people didn't, number one, want to listen to God, but secondly, do what God wanted them to do. So I think that if they were at some point able to say, hey, you know what, let's ask God what we should do. I, you know what God would probably say to them? Do the first thing I told you. Like, why would I tell you something more when you won't even do this? So I think God, like us, if you've been a parent or maybe you're a teacher, that when you speak something for so long and they just don't get it, you get tired of repeating the same thing. And then you get frustrated. Anybody ever get frustrated? So you stop speaking. All right, so look at verse two. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, 
And when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, watch verse 3. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down, verse 4, that the Lord called Samuel. Very first time. And he answered, here am I. Or here I am. Now it's funny because up until this point scripture wise, we don't ever hear of Samuel hearing from God. So let's understand this verse here real quick. The lamp of God, or the lampstand, was in the tabernacle. Now, when you study this out, it has seven different, where do you say, lamps or candles on it at one time. And God's commandment was that this lamp should be burning all the time, never going out. And we see this in the book of Exodus chapter 27, where this is instituted. Now, it was a permanent law for the people of Israel that, must have been, that, that had to be kept for future generations. And the person who was supposed to make sure it stayed lit was the priest. It was Eli's job. Now, when we go back to the verse, it says he's, he's falling asleep. The lights are going out. Things are getting dim. He's getting ready to start his, his, his app with noise so he can have a really good nighttime sleep with white noise in the background. Yes, sir. And it's going out. But we know that as it's going out, it tells us something. And I really want to make sure we understand this. It shows us that no one filled the lamp with oil that day. Obviously. But it's something deeper than that. What it shows is it shows you the backslidden state of the priesthood in the tabernacle at that time. It's like, have you ever looked at someone jokingly and just said, you had one job? You ever done that before? Like you had one, one job. Keep those things on. That's all you had to do. And it's not happening. I think really when you look at this, it's really a picture of the nation of Israel as a whole. Both morally and spiritually, there was a darkness that was covering the land of Israel. But again, God in his grace and his mercy says, okay, and we'll get to this. Eli the priest, living wrong. Kids are living wrong. He's not dealing with it. What do I do? Ah, yes. Young man by the name of Samuel. Chapter 3, verse 3. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran out to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. So the voice of God, watch here, sounded like Eli to Samuel. Samuel, ooh, here I am. He gets up, goes over. Yes? What are you talking about? You didn't ask me to come? Nope. Sends him back. Verse 5. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And so he went and he laid down. Verse 6. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose, went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call. My son, lie down again. <laughs> Any parent in here? Go to bed. <laughs> Be quiet. 
lay down. I read this story. This is what I get. Say, I did not call you. Lie down again. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the Lord yet revealed to him. But it brings me to point number two. Hearing from God requires involvement and availability. Now what, watch here. Let me explain. Here you have this kid. He's already in the tabernacle. That's where he lives. It's where he sleeps. It's where he hangs out. Now he hadn't got the voice of this God thing yet, but he was in the place where he needed to be. He was already involved and available in doing whatever needed to be done around the tabernacle, and God is speaking to him. Now, when I say that he was available to God, it wasn't a, a, a passive like, hey, you know, God, give me a call if you ever need me. That seems passive. It, it was different. When it comes to hearing from God, I want you to hear me. You, you have to be actively involved and putting yourself in a place where you can hear from God. You got to be active in that. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. And I mean this with, with uttermost respect. But I think that many believers, Christians, raised in church, decades, they flounder with what God wants them to do. And I mean this respectfully because they're spiritually inactive. That's exactly how I thought that was going to go over. Or you're thinking about it spiritually inactive i mean this with respect god spiritually i'll give you sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 45 depending how long the pastor goes i mean this respect i've done this too god i will give you the set amount of time it's yours right here and then go the rest of their day and the rest of their week spiritually inactive. Which then leads them to go, why am I not hearing from God? We've all been there. Everyone look at me and smile. Okay, good. You've been there. I've been there. We've been to a place where life picks up, things begin to happen, systems or structures or to-do lists go out the window and you're just trying to hold on for dear life. You ever been there? <laughs> like, I can't keep up. And then what happens is our spiritual tank gets empty and empty and empty. And we can't hear God. We're spiritually inactive. Samuel, raised in the tabernacle, serving in the tabernacle, stays active. So, just so I could take maybe some of the tension out of the room... How many of you would say there's been a time in your life, knowingly, where you've been spiritually inactive? You can just raise your hand. Okay, good. Look around, everyone. Don't feel bad. Don't let condemnation get in your heart. Okay? Let me show you how it works to hear God with an illustration. Okay. In my day, no YouTube, no Google. We're talking AOL dial-up if you were lucky. You guys know what I'm talking about? You turn on your computer, hit the button, you hear it, and then you see the little things going back and forth, back and forth, and then you have internet, and about 
a day later, the page that you wanted to load eventually loaded. And then you came back to it. That's how it worked. Going back even further, when I wanted to learn how to ride a bike, I didn't get a book on it. Did you? No one got a book on how to ride a bike. You know what you did? You got on the bike, and hopefully that person holding the bike wasn't trying to set you up for failure the whole time at least. You would start to pedal the bike and handle the handlebars, and then you at some point, when you felt comfortable, you'd say, let me go. And they would let you go, and if you're like me, you fell instantly. And then you got back up. And then you got on it again, and it was while you were in motion, you learned how to ride a bike. Now, my boy's age, they're older. When they wanted to learn to ride their bike, they didn't pop on YouTube. Now, some kids might do that nowadays, and that's fine if you do. As if a kid in here is watching this. Why did I say that? So, you can, you can pop there, you can go on Google. You don't Google how to ride a bike. You saw someone else do it. And guess what you did? You did it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Hearing from God is a lot like riding a bike. Get on, start pedaling, get active in motion, and then let God do the speaking. Here's what we do. God, not doing anything until you speak. Nothing. Again, all due respect, we have people filling churches spiritually, giftings, inactive, until they hear God speak, instead of moving and allowing him to speak as you move. See, why would you say it like that way? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we think that God works in leaps. Big aha moments. I'm taking time on this because I feel I need to. We feel that until I make a decision, I have to have that encounter from God. And it's got to be so evident that if it's not, I don't move. That, my friend, is what I call a leap. God does not work in leaps God works in steps. Everyone say steps. So as I get going in life, maybe not fully knowing what it is I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, I can't sit idle. I've got to do something. So you begin to take steps. And as you take those steps, God begins to reveal things to your heart and to your mind and for your purpose. And he begins to do those things and they begin to line up. And the next thing you know, you're right where God wants you to be. Now, I don't know how it's worked out for you, but we could go across this room and say a lot of you have gotten to where you are not because of a leap, but because of a step. Even in the natural, even with your jobs. You took a step, and I think I might like this. You started doing it, and then you realized, this is amazing. I could see myself doing this. I really enjoy that. And then you got into a career, and the rest is history. Hopefully. Or you started doing something that you thought you would have liked, I might talk more language here, okay? That you thought you might have liked, but as you did it, you realized, uh-uh. For me, it was UPS. 
really, really not good. 3.30 a.m. to 8.30 every morning, two 60-foot trailers, get them unloaded. A guy stood at the end of the conveyor belt and just yelled at me all the time, words I can't even repeat in church. Two weeks in, I'm thinking, no, this was a really, really bad idea. Not going to enjoy this one. I know I'm being a little bit humorous, but hear me. When God called me to ministry, God called me to be a pastor. My next step or my next thing was not, hey, God, you called me to be the pastor. Boom, next I'm a pastor of a church. Didn't work that way. There was a step I took. It was an intern program, which led to another step, which was volunteering in the media department, which led to a next step of opening up a gym in the morning, really early in the morning. Why do people work out that early in the morning? To 21 years later, being the one who works out that early in the morning. And it took a step to a step to a step to a step. And I mean this, I mean, I mean this with all my heart. Until almost five years ago where God landed us here. Me coming here, my wife and I and our family coming here was a bunch of steps as we were going, actively listening to God in the spirit, God lined it up. So in 2001 until 2017 were nothing but step, 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 step. And what I'm trying to say to you is this. If you want to hear the voice of God, it's not going to come to you just in an idle position. You need to actively put yourself in a place where you begin to move forward. You need to be involved in church. You need to serve. You need to trust God. You need to make a career. You need to go to school. Whatever the case may be, just get yourself moving and God will take care of the rest. Don't sit idle. Am I making sense? I knew this point today was going to be the long one. You want to know why? Because it's tied to purpose. You know what purpose is tied to? Identity. And because many as believers don't know who they are in Christ, they don't sense their purpose, and they sit. And 20 years later, they go, I'm still waiting on God to give me a purpose. You can't sit. You got to move. You got to keep the ball rolling. God works in steps, not leaps. Verse 8, and the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. So he arose and he went to Eli and said to him, here am I, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. Notice this one's different. And it shall be that if he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is powerful. So Samuel went. And he lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Pause. The Lord came. When did the Lord come? When Samuel said, here I am. I want to hear you. That's when God decided to come. God could have came at the first time. Three times God calls out. Samuel didn't know what's going on. But the minute that Samuel said, God, I hear you. The Lord comes. Speak for your servant. He he hears. What he's saying is, is God, I want you to speak to me. So it leads me to point number three. To hear God, you must be willing. You've got to put yourself in a place. What did it say he did? He went to his place, his bed, and he laid there, and he got everything around him quiet, and he said, Lord, I'm available to hear you. God, I want to hear what you have to say. It leads me to understand that there's a promise that we have. If we can get to a place and say, God, I'm willing to hear from you, that there's a promise that he'll speak. 
Does that sound comforting to anybody else? Let me tell you where it gets frustrating. When you say that and you don't hear right away. Yeah, we've all been there. You're ready to listen, but God's not speaking yet. I don't always know why that is. If you have an answer for that, I'd love to hear it. But I've got some opinions on it. I think God in his goodness and his grace wants to teach us a lot of things. And sometimes when it comes to him speaking to us, he wants to know if we really want him to. Not because he's mean or he's playing games. But are you willing to say, hey, I'm going to keep waiting and waiting and waiting until God speaks? It says in verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. I've kind of taken my liberty with time here real quick, but let me just say something to all of us parents in the room or those watching online. I think there's a powerful truth here to be learned about raising, discipling. And in this day and age, they don't like to hear it, but I'm going to say it, and disciplining our children. Eli did not deal with his home, and it cost them. And friends, we don't have time today, nor do I think in this setting we need to do it here. But I want to challenge every parent in this room to be active in raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Because there's a promise that we have that when they are old, they will not depart from Him, from God, from his word it's a promise so maybe you have some children that have gone astray but if you raise them in the things of the Lord hold tight it's not over don't get all anxious don't get worried you say well I could have but like done better join the crowd what parent doesn't say they could have done better of course we all could you say well I wasn't very active in telling them about the thing. You still can now. So just do it. Again, I, I don't have time here, but there, there's something to be said about Eli and his two sons. And why Samuel had to come. Because he didn't, he didn't deal. Look at Proverbs 19.18. Discipline your son or daughter. Did you hear that out of line? Did you hear that? For there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You know what that scripture is saying? That if we don't take the responsibility as parents to raise our children and to discipline them, and I'm talking about brutality, I'm talking about disciplining them to go to God and to obey, we're leading them to death. So we have a huge, huge role. Anyways, that didn't happen with Eli and his two boys. 
So it says in verse 14, And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or, or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. God's speaking to Samuel. Hey, let Eli know it's about to get really bad. But by the way, don't tell him right now. Sleep on it. How many of you guys know you probably wouldn't be getting much sleep? Leads me to number four. Hearing from God isn't always pleasant. Now, some of you would disagree with that. What I mean by that is the content that you hear from God. When God says, you need to address this issue. And sometimes you do. You've got to do that. Number five. Hearing from God requires responsibility to tell the whole truth. I would think that the first test that Sam, keep in mind, guys, he's a teenager in the tabernacle, talking to the priest. He could have changed words around, but he had to tell the whole truth, even when it wasn't pleasant. I'm telling you, the boldness and the strength of Samuel is unbelievable. And we're going to see that over the course of the next few weeks as we go. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Galatians 6, verse 1, you want to talk about speaking the truth even when it's unpleasant, speaking it all. Brethren, if anyone is, is caught in, a, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, watch here, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I believe Samuel had favor with Eli because he spoke the truth, the whole truth, in kindness. If I could say one more thing and then we'll close. In all of our lives, if you have someone that you've got to deal with and it's not going to be pleasant, can I just tell you what's going to help in that time? Love. do it in love you got an issue going on in your home stop pointing the finger start praying and then have a conversation in love stop pointing the blame stop saying you never start someone started laughing right there that's what we say when we get emotional right? you never well that's not really the case I have how many guys know that when emotions get out of whack man words get out of whack Every married couple in this room is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kindness. Number six, I went a little bit longer than I should have. But hearing from God will be evident. Here's the promise that we have. When you hear from God, the evidence all around your life is going to make total sense. But you got to get back the very first place and you've got to be willing to hear from the Lord